the Mirror by Arthur Borges. A magnificent old house, the agent said expansively. Just a thing for a large family with taste. Not one of these ticky-tacky modern cracker boxes with no room to breathe. In his heart, Mr. Avery agreed completely, but knew he mustn't let his feelings show. Not if a bargain was to be made. So he tried to look shrewd and tight-fisted, much as a dormouse might counterfeit ferocity. His was not a poker face. It registered emotions quite similar to those that once flickered in contrasty muggings across the silent screen. He yearned for the huge house, all gingerbread, with its cornices, attics, and above all the thirty-by-forty-foot living room that boasted a seventeen-foot ceiling and a fireplace big enough for half a redwood tree. And there were ten acres of brushy land, offering wonderful privacy. What a spot for the kids. With five of them, all active, outgoing, creative, and impulsive, just like Dad, finding a suitable house was no simple matter. Yes, this one, almost hidden by towering leafy oaks, was a prize. A lucky stroke. It's not bad, he said cautiously quite unaware that his soft brown eyes shone like beacons. But after all, Mr. Das, the place has been shut up for over thirty years, and what with the stories, that would scare most customers off. Everybody isn't as free from superstition as I am, you know. Nothing to all the talk, the agent assured him. The owner just didn't care to rent or sell. He inherited the property at a fairly early age, but never lived there. Probably because it was too big for one person alone. That's reasonable enough. One man in a thirty-room house? Of course, he added quickly, seeing that a question was trembling on Avery's lips. It needs some work, but that's why the ad called it a fixer-upper. A handyman will get a real bargain, whereas if we had to call in regular contractors... Mr. Avery was not merely a dedicated do-it-yourselfer. He was a remarkably good one, having a knack for cabinet work, masonry, electrical outlets, and even plumbing. He looked forward with pleasant anticipation to the job of renovating the house. The family could stay in the old one, several hundred miles away, while he toiled in peace, making the nest ready for them. There was no need to consult Lottie. She knew his taste was impeccable, and that he definitely headed the family. Mr. Avery, in fact, often thought of himself as a modern paterfamilias in the Victorian tradition, and imposed the image rather successfully on his brood. He and the agent soon agreed on terms, with Doss giving a little, very graciously, and Avery yielding much more than necessary, but feeling no pain, so skilfully was he manipulated. There followed a period of intense and enjoyable activity on his part, as he began to put the old house in order. There were rotten boards and panels to be replaced, stairs that quivered at even a light tread, wallpaper to be hung, gallons of paint needed inside and out, 
and furniture, including suitable antiques, to be bought. Finally, there was the interesting puzzle of the mirror. This enormous installation was let into the wall above the fireplace, also a giant, intricately carved and decorated. For some reason, the glass had been covered with many brushstrokes of heavy black enamel. After thirty years of drying, the stuff refused to soften even under the most potent chemicals, and Avery was reduced to a kind of slow, tiresome scraping and chipping that made his wrists ache. He mentioned the mirror to the only man in town who remembered anything about the house, but learned little that was new. Instead, the fellow rehashed the story of the murders. Nasty business, the old man said, delighted, obviously, to have a fresh victim. Carlton had a big family, eight kids, but one was out that night. Anyhow, Carlton went nuts and killed all of them, and then jumped out an upper window to the flagstones, and he died too. Son that was out. He come home, found them all dead. One's inside all chopped or torn to bits, they say. So horrible, Karen never did talk about it in court. <laughs> Boy sealed up the house right after. Don't think it was his idea. Just a kid. Old Rack, the coroner. He must have told him to. Well, pretty mysterious. Something Colton didn't do it. That house is haunted, he spat. Me? I wouldn't live there for a million. Did the coroner have the mirror painted over, too? Don't know about that. Didn't know it was done. Painted over, you see. Now, I did hear once that some of the kids claimed they saw things in it. I've got it pretty well cleaned. Avery said, dryly. And it's just a mirror. In fact, my family will love it. I've always wanted one that big over the fireplace. Might even make up some good stories about it. He winked. Stolen, basically, from Lewis Carroll. The old man looked at him blankly. And Avery coughed. Maybe the guy would recognize a name like Herzl, or the spy who came in from the cold but he wouldn't bet on that either. Probably the sports page was his limit. As Avery expected, his family was enthusiastic about the house. Even children brought up to be more worldly and cynical would have enjoyed exploring such a pile, with its many fascinating nooks, storerooms, attics, cupboards, and crawl spaces. Since they ranged in age from five to thirteen, the Avery kids were fully able to make the most of the place. They walked, ran, jumped, and climbed until they knew every inch of the house. There was only one disappointment. The mirror was still a mess. The lowest layers of paint were particularly resistant. They seemed to have been brushed on to form a grating with regular horizontal and vertical strokes. In time, of course, Avery would get the glass clear. But for the present, there were more urgent matters requiring his attention. The well, in particular, was acting up, in spite of the new electric pump Avery installed. Perhaps the casing had a leak. 
and water was certainly more important than the mirror. But the time did come, finally, when he could give the glass his full attention, and by using a heavier blade plus a steaming device, Avery removed the last of the black enamel. Although the mirror was obviously quite old, it gave a clear, undistorted reflection. With his family grouped around a blazing fire, Avery talked with verve and imagination about the looking-glass world to be seen, in part, over the mantel. To one side was an archway identical to their own, but they could see only part way into its shadowy depth. Mr. Avery's fancies, which owed so much to Carol, found an intent audience. Even his wife listened. The eldest boy, Larry, more science-minded at thirteen, showed less interest, until his father, with shrewd premeditation, raised the question, why are left and right interchanged, but not up and down? That puzzle kept Larry occupied for the rest of the tale. Janie, who was eight, had a complaint. The looking-glass room is just like ours, she pouted. Not really, her father said. You see the picture on the wall. In our room, the man's on the left. In there, he's on the right. And besides, he added quickly, aware that the distinction didn't impress her markedly. How could it at her age? We don't know what's in the rest of the house. Through the archway and in all the other rooms, they may be altogether different. And the ones who live there stay out of this room which we can see. He was too perceptive and intelligent to invent any unpleasant tenants. The worst was a fat, elfish creature named Nolfo, who robbed the refrigerator in the kitchen and could never be seen from this location. Once, during the story, Avery pretended to glimpse Nolfo peering through the arch, and Bill verified it, adding rather uneasily that the elf was small and hairy. But Bill was only five and not held to be a competent witness by his siblings. It was a charming tableau for a paterfamilias. The five children, all look-alikes in their dark hair and big brown eyes, but with different temperaments. Janie and Marcia were impish and apt to be challenging, while the three boys were more physical, taking Avery's logic as dependable even when the girls intuitively doubted. And Lottie, she belonged in the picture too, he found. Almost a Victorian wife. Meek, biddable, sweet, and yet no lightweight mentally. She knew many classics and played the piano like a concert artist. If only she didn't like Poulenc and some even more wild modern so much. That didn't fit. Yes, he was a lucky fellow to have such a family. Father had been so taken with his first three grandchildren that he'd put a nice sum of money in trust and now Avery didn't need to do much work as a lawyer, lend the old family name to Winslow, Talcott and Avery, and show up at the office a few hours each week. Where does Norfolk stay? Brian demanded, standing close to the mirror. He was ten, and mature enough to act as babysitter for his juniors, a job usually ducked by Larry as unworthy of a thirteen-year-old. Both boys were strong and vigorous, and Larry owned a point twenty-two, which he could shoot with considerable skill. Any prowler who came looking for trouble while the parents were away might be in for a shock, Avery thought, looking approvingly at Brian's sturdy body and resolute, if rather bovine eyes. Upstairs, he told his son, 
Not that it's laid out just like ours. I rather think it isn't, but then we'll never know, will we? Maybe we could get through sometime, Janie suggested, half-heartedly. She wasn't at all sure at eight that the mirror had another side facing a different world. Yet older people knew so many things kids hadn't learnt yet. How could one be sure Daddy was making it up? It's possible, some day. Mr. Avery agreed, smiling. Alice did, and she was a real girl. Alice Little. And when Larry, expecting this once to catch his father out, scoffed, he was shown, much to his annoyance, the facts in the encyclopedia. The squelch did wonders for Avery's status. The younger children would now just as soon doubt the next day's sunrise. The story will be continued tomorrow, Mr. Avery said at 9.30. Now it's bedtime, except for Larry, he gets his extra half hour. Not tomorrow, dear, Lottie reminded him. We're going to the Randalls, remember? I forgot, confounded, he said, irritated. He enjoyed his role at the fireside, monarch of all he surveyed. The one allotted him in other homes was considerably less exalted, thanks to his dormouse appearance and total lack of interest in modern matters. And then he said crisply, Larry will be in charge, and all of you must stay in the house. I don't want anybody outside when there are no neighbors handy, like in our old place. Anyhow, we'll be back by midnight. See that they're in bed at the usual time, son, and be there yourself before eleven. Neither he nor his wife had any misgivings when they left the following evening. Although the house was isolated to a degree, the heavy doors locked, as did the windows. Larry was a manly fellow and the twenty-two could be taken from the closet without his father's permission in an emergency. After dinner, previously prepared by their mother, the children gathered in the living room, where a nice fire burned. If they felt reluctant to run about the upper floors while alone, it was perfectly natural. By day, the children tended to split up into groups, pairs or even individuals, according to mood or type of play. But at night, even a courageous thirteen-year-old had no pressing business in the dark attics above. Tell us about the looking-class rooms, Bill lisped, and the fat little boy with the funny name. Larry felt flattered. It was seldom they treated him so like a second father, but he doubted his capacity as a bard. Well, he said uneasily, there's not much to tell. It's a whole big house, just like ours. Daddy said it isn't, Janie interrupted. I mean it has other rooms, some on the same floor and some upstairs, but Nolfo, he likes the kitchen where the food is. He did his best from then on, but knew his audience was restive. He had almost lost them completely. Only Bill watched the glass, when suddenly the child gave a squeak of dismay. I saw something, Bill cried. It was in the arch there. Don't be silly, Larry said. If it was there, it would be in our arch here, too. Why? Marsha demanded. Who said so? That's a different room, actually. Daddy said so. I saw it, Bill said, his chubby face pale and strained. I don't like that. That nuffy. 
He's hairy and funny and jumps around. Where did he go? Brian asked. He came right into the looking glass room and over to the fireplace. His old fireplace where you can't see it. Great, Larry said in a sardonic voice. You're the clever one. He grinned at the others. Billy knows we can't prove Norfolk's not behind the mantel. That's part of the looking glass room we can't see. Then his face went blank with thought. Wait a minute. If we had another mirror and moved it back from the fireplace a few feet and then looked in the big mirror, sure, then we'd see their fire. And that's one even Dad didn't think of, he added proudly. Mom's got a pretty big mirror on her dresser, Brian said. You and me could carry it down here easy, I bet. That's right, Larry said. And that's just what we'll do. You kids wait here, and in a minute you'll see all the rest of the looking glass room. We'll have some fun with Dad tomorrow, too. He and Brian raced up the stairs, too excited to have any fear of the dark landing, and soon returned, carrying the dresser mirror, lifted from its gimbals by four strong, eager hands. They maneuvered it to the center of the room, while the other children darted in and out to keep tabs on the reflection. Finally, Larry found a spot where, on peering into the bigger one, they could see in the smaller one's reflection, the fireplace of the looking-glass room. Marcia saw it first, and whimpered. Bill began to scream, and Larry just froze, his eyes pits of horror. The thing crouching there may have felt the children's collective gaze, for it rose to its full height of some three feet to glare at them. It had teeth and talons and great blank eyes, pitiless as the sun. Dark matted hair covered its body, which rippled continually with a terrible vitality like that of a centipede. Then it was on the mantel, first on the looking-glass side, and almost immediately on theirs. When the Averys came into the house at 11.40 and saw the living room, Lottie began to scream, shrill, toneless, repetitive notes that sounded like mechanical whistles. She kept them up for hours, even under heavy doses of morphine and was silent only in death two days later. Mr. Avery looked at the remains of his children and knew that all but one were dead. Janie's eyes showed that she was still alive, but they also held a wordless plea as if she understood what was best. And her father, without knowing why, did what had to be done, giving the child Release. Only then did he begin to whimper in a high, quavering voice, nothing like his normal rich baritone. Later he was indicted for murder, but a vegetable cares little about such things.
a Brink Realty Special. House for sale or lease. Owner will sacrifice. Ideal for large family. Today's story was The Mirror by Arthur Porges. It was read by Jasper Lestrange. If you enjoy the show and would like to support me, there are several ways you can do so. You can make a one-off donation through Ko-fi. You can join as a YouTube channel member or become a patron on Patreon and make a monthly contribution, gaining access to exclusive content. Liking, commenting, sharing and subscribing all help the channel grow. Thank you for listening and until next time, sweet dreams. <laughs>